So this is the last of our, our five-week series on the nation of Israel and what the Bible has to say about Israel. This morning, as with the other weeks, if you have questions, uh, you can uh, text those questions in to the number you see on the screen, and it will be up there throughout the, the message, and we've endeavored each week to answer as many of those questions as we can as we work through uh, the scriptures in talking about Israel. There are those theologians who believe that there should be a whole section of theology devoted just to the nation of Israel because it is so important what the scriptures have to say about them. We began this series by looking at the promise that God made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And you'll remember from that covenant, we saw, the covenant stated was that Abraham was to become a great nation. Abraham will be blessed by God. Abraham's name will be made great. Abraham will be a blessing. And those who bless Abraham will be what? And those who dishonor Abraham will be what? Cursed. And that blessing and that cursing and this whole covenant that was given to, to Abraham follows through to the nation of Israel. And we saw that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. There are three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, the land, the seed, and the blessing. And through the land, there's the promise of the land covenant that was given where the exact borders of the land are laid out. Then for the seed portion of it, it comes through the Davidic covenant, where David, a descendant of Abraham, is promised that someone from his line will sit upon his throne and rule over the entire world. Then we saw the new covenant, the new agreement that replaced the law. And how we as believers, as Gentiles, are made participants in that new covenant. As we've gone along, we've tried to answer several questions. You know, what or who is Israel? We saw they are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and then Jacob. And from Jacob's sons and grandsons, uh, this whole nation is formed. What is Zionism? It's the movement going on in the world by those who believe Israel has a right to exist over in the Middle East. And the Zionist movement is one that supports Israel having a safe place where they can live. Does Israel have a right to the land? We saw God made an everlasting promise. Uh, is modern Israel a fulfillment of prophecy? Uh, we saw last week how God has promised he would bring Israel back into their land, first in a state of unbelief, which is where they are today. But that one day, and we'll be talking about this this morning, that all Israel is going to be saved. Should we support Israel? I think that's obvious from the Abrahamic covenant. But does that mean that Israel is immune from criticism? We've said, no, even God is criticized. Remember, they are in the land in unbelief. They are not acting exactly as God would have them 
to act. So they're not immune from criticism. Has the church replaced Israel? Absolutely not. Israel and the church are separate from one another. And does Israel have a future? We'll be looking at that again this morning as we did last week when we looked at Ezekiel 37, you know, in that vision of the dry bones and the question, and it's about the nation of Israel. The passage says clearly it's about the nation of Israel. Can these dry bones live again? God asks Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, of course, answers, you know God, you're the one that has that answer. And now this morning, we are going to look, following through on that, at the time when all Israel will be saved. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Use your Bible, your electronic devices, whatever you're using, but have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 947. Uh, You may sometimes wonder why I think it's so important for you to have the scriptures in front of you. Because it's the scriptures that we believe. And we have this kind of agreement with one another. I preach to you and I share with you how I understand the scriptures. And your responsibility is to search the scriptures to make sure that what you're being told is so. Don't you accept something just because I say it or because Pastor Bruce says it or any other preacher says it. We have a responsibility to search the scriptures to see whether or not what someone is telling us lines up with the scriptures. That's why I think it's so important that you have a Bible in front of you that you're checking out. You know, there are some pastors out there who preach and never once even reference the Bible in their messages. That is something we never want to be guilty of. We want the messages to fall right from the word of God. So this morning we're going to see in Romans 11 the promise that all Israel will be saved. And we don't want to be unaware of this. Notice what Paul writes Romans 11, beginning with verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written... The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In verse 25, the Apostle Paul tells us, I don't want you, brothers, to be uninformed. You know, that's kind of a a statement that Paul uses throughout his, his letters when there's something important that he wants the believers to know. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. This is a very important thing for you to recognize. And Paul calls this a mystery. Now, in the New Testament, when the term mystery is used, and we've talked about this before, A mystery in the New Testament is something that was not completely understood 
in the past, but now God is revealing it. There may be hints of it in the past, but it's not completely understood. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand, this is a mystery, I'm revealing it to you now, I want you to grasp this. Do not be unaware. And he then says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. You know, we've talked about today, the Jewish people in the land of Israel, most of them are lost. The huge majority of them are lost. The overwhelming majority of them are either atheists or agnostics when it comes to God. We might ask the question, why is that so? Well, part of the reason is revealed to us right now. God has allowed their hearts to be hardened. And notice, he doesn't say it's a complete hardening, but it's what? A partial hardening. God's rejection at this point in time of the nation of Israel is not complete, but it's partial. And God has a remnant among the people in Israel who follow him, who serve him, who love him. Now, in the first part of Romans 11, Paul has made this case that God is not through with Israel. If you look in chapter 11 at verse 1, the question is asked, has God rejected his people? And Paul answers in verse 1, by no means. And Paul is going to, to argue the very fact that he is saved is proof that God has not totally rejected the Jews because Paul himself is a Jew. He says very clearly in verse 2 that God has not rejected his people. He uses an example from the Old Testament in verses 2 through 4 about Elijah. Remember when Elijah was depressed and he's on the run and God is appearing to him and talking to him and Elijah makes the statement to God, God, I'm the only one left. There's no one else. Everybody in Israel has abandoned you and I am the only one left standing. And God has to inform Elijah, Elijah, you don't know everything that's going on. I have 7,000, 7,000 followers, 7,000 people who are committed to following me who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God is at work often when we don't even see it. In verse 5, he makes it clear that there is a remnant among the Jewish people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. In verse 6, he makes it clear that they are saved and they are a remnant because of the grace of God. Can we be very clear on this this morning? Everyone who is saved is saved because of the grace of God. Without grace, we would all be lost. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, it's because God has shown grace to you. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, the only way of salvation is through him. And that grace is available for you to accept. That unmerited favor that God will give to you because you don't deserve it. Because you are a sinner separated from him because of your sin. But God wants to save you through his grace. And I want you to know everyone that's been saved from Adam Till today, everyone that will be saved from now until the very end, they'll all be saved because of the grace of God. We are saved by his grace. Verse 11 of chapter 11 makes it clear that one of the reasons that God has chosen to save so many Gentiles is because he wants to make his people, the nation of Israel, jealous. God is saying, if you're not going to follow me, and if you're not going to serve me, I'll call another people to love me and to serve me. And it's for the purpose of making the nation jealous. In verse 17... The Apostle Paul gives us a word picture of a tree and a branch that is grafted in. And he talks about, from the tree, branches that are broken off. And those branches being broken off are the Jewish people who would not believe in him and follow him. So therefore, he grafts in a branch. And you know who it is that's grafted in? It's us. It's the Gentiles that he grafts us in to the tree. But Paul warns us in verse 18, don't be so arrogant. As Gentile believers, don't be so arrogant to where you're saying we're better than the Jews. Or so arrogant to say God is through with the Jews. Because Paul then argues and says this, if God can take a wild branch like the Gentiles and graft it into the tree, he can take those branches that were broken off and graft them back into the tree. There's nothing that our God is incapable of doing. And in verses 19 to 24, he makes it clear that Israel will be grafted back in. So there is a partial hardening that's come upon Israel for a period of time. But that time will end, Paul says, in verse 25, it will end with the fullness of the Gentiles. Now the word that's used for fullness there is a word that means to come to a full number of, Uh, to be complete. So in God's plan right now, he's working through the church and he's working through the Gentiles until the time comes that that is full and when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, God's attention is going to be back on the nation of Israel. And then he makes the statement there, all Israel will be saved in verse 26. 
Now, it's, it's important that we understand what is meant here when it says that all Israel will be saved. That does not mean all Jews that have ever lived will be saved. It means that there is coming a time when, as a nation, Israel will turn to God And in one day, there will be national salvation of all the Jews who are living at that time. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So it's the Jews who will be living, and that time frame will be at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus returns to the earth. Now, why is this so? It's because we're told in verses 28 to 32 that God's gift and his calling, that they are irrevocable. They do not change. Listen to what he says in these verses. Romans 11, verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy." For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So what are we being told here? We're told that when God makes a promise, he keeps that promise. When God gives gifts to his people, makes promises to them, those are irrevocable promises. We saw very clearly with the Abrahamic covenant What is the the term on the Abrahamic covenant? It is everlasting. So God's promise to Abraham is irrevocable. It's going to be carried out. Now, because Israel was disobedient to God, Paul says, we, as the Gentiles, have received the mercy of God. In a measure, we would not have received it. But because of their disobedience, he shows mercy to us. But God is also going to show mercy to Israel yet in the future. Now, this mercy, it all ends, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't show any more mercy, but this period of time ends when the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed. And at that point, as we've said, All Israel will be saved. At a time yet in the future, Christ will turn unbelief away from Israel. And the remnant of the nation will put their faith and trust in their Messiah. Now that's talked about in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 13, in verses 8 to 9, We read this. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. Now understand what's being talked about there. It is being prophesied there is coming a time when two-thirds of the nation of Israel 
will be wiped out. They'll be killed. This period is going to be during the tribulation period when the Jewish people, as well as any believers during that period of time, will be public enemy number one to the Antichrist. And he is going to seek to kill. And we ask, why is that? Well, we've seen the roots behind this. It is Satan who wants to destroy the Jewish nation. Because if the Jewish nation is totally and completely destroyed, then they will not be calling for their Messiah to come back, which has been prophesied in the Old Testament. And he says, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. And then we roll right into Zechariah chapter 14 with no break in the passage, and we read this. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the cities shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile. But the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall be moved northward and the other half southward. Jesus says there's coming a day when the nation of Israel, after two-thirds of them have been destroyed, they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah, and Jesus will return. And we know exactly where he's returning to, the Mount of Olives. And as his feet touches it, there's like a giant earthquake. And the mountain is split in two. And there's a huge valley there where Christ will defeat all the nations of the world. See, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago when we looked at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, when Jesus said to them, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you see the picture there? It's at that point, it's at that time, Christ returns to the earth with the armies of heaven to rescue Israel. And he comes in response to them finally, Trusting in him and calling for him to come. You say, well, man, I don't understand all this. And I don't understand why God would do all of this. Well, Paul is going to let us know that God's way are past our understanding. In verses 33 to 36, look at what he says here. Oh, the depth. 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And Paul can't help himself but cry out, Amen. Let it be so. Paul is saying as he reveals this, God's ways are past our ways of understanding. But God is working a plan, his plan, and that plan will result in glory to him, both now and forever. And as Paul thinks about that and sees what God is doing, he can't help but say, amen, God. Let it be. That's what the word amen means. Amen. Let it be. Let it come to pass. And Paul, as he considers the grace of God and God's plan for the Gentiles and how we've come to know Christ as Savior, God's plan for the church, God's plan for the nation of Israel that he's going to carry out, God's huge plan, which is all going to work together for one purpose, to glorify. By him. And Paul says, let it be. And you know, that should be our hope today as well. That should be our attitude. God, we don't understand everything. We don't understand why. We don't know how or why you're doing this. But you have a plan and you deserve the glory for your plan. And so in the end, God is glorified. By Gentiles coming to know him, God is glorified by the nation of Israel turning to him. And Jesus is coming back, and he's going to set up his kingdom here, and he will be glorified throughout that kingdom, and he will be glorified in the eternal state that follows all of this forever and ever. So let's make this practical in our lives. Let's understand, first of all, God has a plan. Do you see that? Even though our world looks like it's running, you know, and everything's out of control, God has a plan that he's working and that he is going to bring about his will. It will not be thwarted by all the hordes of hell. And, you know, that's reassuring to us in our individual lives as well. That God has a plan that he's working out. Did you notice the first thing that, that Paul says when he says that God's not through with Israel yet? The first argument that he gives, the proof that he's still working with the Jews? He points to himself and says, God saved me. And I'm Jewish. And friends, if you know Jesus Christ 
as your Savior. God has a plan. He's working out in your life. He loves you so much, and he cares for you so much. And he wants you to bring glory to him. And so we need to ask in our lives day by day, am I living in such a way that it brings glory to God? And then just the confidence that we can have. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. God is in control. Those of you who are sitting here and you're all worked up already about the election that's going to happen later in this year. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God's in control. And I know that God is going to superintend and work to his glory. So don't waste all your frustration and don't walk around upset all the time. God is in control. And can I say with that too, please don't put your hope in the Democrats. Please don't put your hope in the Republicans. And don't put your hope in the independents either. There's only one that we should have our hope in. And that is in our God. And it's going to be exciting to see what he does. Amen? And just to see what's going on. But this much I know. All my worrying and all my fret is not going to accomplish anything for God's glory. But if I focus on a God who's in control, who can be trusted and is working all things out, I can bring glory to him. Well, let's see what questions we have now at this point. We have all-purpose Bruce today. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he's... He... All right. I, I, I thought about calling off sick so he could just do everything from the beginning of the service. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, why is there so much focus on Israel and Jews and Jewish customs in the Bible? If that is not the way to Christ, is this confusing for Jews? Why is there so much folk? Well, they've been God's chosen people for whatever reason. Remember we started, did God have a right to choose Abraham? Did God have a right to choose this nation? He chose the nation. Now, if they will just read their scriptures and listen to what God has to say, they would be pointed to Jesus, the Messiah. You know, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and believed in me as he was challenging the religious leaders there. Is it confusing to the Jews? It's confusing because they are blinded. And there is a hardness, a partial hardness that's coming on, which Paul is talking about. Remember, it is Satan who blinds. He's the God of this age. So if their eyes would be opened, and that's, you know, someone has asked too, you know, how should we pray for Israel today? Pray that their eyes are open to their Messiah. There's coming a day when that will happen on a national level, but we want to pray that it happens on personal levels right now, that people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. How do we support Israel without supporting the ongoing conflict in Gaza? Right, We pray for Israel. We pray for Israel's leaders, as we should be praying for our leaders as well. 
Uh, I think we should be praying for our president, for our Congress, and praying for them even as they make decisions that God will give them wisdom on what they should do. That there should be wisdom for Israel to know how to respond to the attack that was made upon them. That God would give them wisdom because it's righteousness that will exalt the nation. So we should pray for them. And we shouldn't we shouldn't be hating people. We shouldn't be hating Jewish people, nor should we be hating any race of people. Uh, there's no place for that within the church, within Christianity, for us to hate and despise people. The scriptures even tell us we're to love our enemies. So we should demonstrate that. And so we should love the Jewish people. If you have opportunity to interact with them, you share the gospel with them. And you point them to their Messiah. Referring to all Israel will be saved, is that only the third that is left? That's only the third that is left. During the tribulation period, which is going to be, if you think things are bad in our world now, during this seven-year period, it will get worse and it continues to get worse. It is so bad that two-thirds of the living Jews at the start of the tribulation period will be killed during that period of time. And so when it says all Israel is saved, it's the third who have lived through the tribulation period. Is there anywhere in Scripture a numerical number is given to the two-thirds of the Jews killed or the third alive that goes into the kingdom? If not, can't those numbers be reduced by believing Christians witnessing to as many Jews as possible since many are secular Jews today? Yeah, well, we're, there's no place that says there'll be this many. All we have is the, the percentages uh, or the fractions there that one-third will make it in. So 33% of them will make it. Are we going to uh, reduce that number by Jews coming? You know, this is the number of those who enter into the tribulation period. We should see as many people come to know Christ as we can. If Israel would have obeyed God, does that mean he would love Gentiles less or even save us at all? No, he would have still saved us. Remember in the Abrahamic covenant, not only was God to bless Abraham, but Abraham was to be a blessing. And also part of it is all the peoples, all the nations are to be blessed through Abraham. See, if Israel had walked with God the way that God intended, Israel was intended to be a light to the nations. They were to so love God and obey God that God would then bless them. And all the nations would see that and wonder, why are you so blessed? And the answer would be because they were obedient to God and that would cause the nations to come. Remember in the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles a place where the Gentiles could come and worship the true God. Are we Zionist? Are we Zionists? I guess what do we mean by we? That's uh, all, all it said. I, okay, <laughs> that's, what, that's what the questions say. Would I consider myself a Zionist? Absolutely. I believe, remember, Zion is a name, another name given for Jerusalem. I believe the Jews have a right to have a safe place in the Middle East where they can exist. 
And that's the Zionist movement, that there can be a place for Israel to be there. And I believe they are there in unbelief in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Does the Bible state that the generation that witnesses Israel becoming a nation in May 1948 shall not pass away before the coming of Christ? No, I do not believe that's an interpretation that uh, some Bible teachers have made based on the Olivet uh, Discourse. I believe that generation is referring to the generation that is living during the tribulation period. Do you think the beginning of Israel becoming a nation at the end of the tribulation will start with the 144,000 sealed, or will the 144,000 sealed be a result of them coming as a nation of belief? Uh, That will be before. The 144,000 are... Jewish evangelists, 12,000 out of every tribe of Israel, that during the first half, particularly, of the tribulation period, will be going around the whole globe preaching the gospel. So there will be, met, you know, we have the 144,000 that are being saved. They would be part of the remnant. There will be others being saved during that period, including, because someone asked about the Gentiles, a great multitude of Gentiles that will get saved. But I believe that message that they preach and the message of the two witnesses that God will send will be instrumental later in the nation coming to that point where they call for their Messiah to return. Please further explain Romans 11.32, God has consigned all to disobedience. Is it referring to the nation or to individuals or both? It's referring to both. That in God, what the argument of Paul is this. Don't look at the Jews and condemn them because they were in unbelief. They are in unbelief now, and they are hardened. Because Paul says, there was a time you were in unbelief. And don't think that God can't turn in the future and reach out to the nation of Israel again for people to follow him and believe them because they are now in unbelief. And Paul's argument is, you aren't born into this world saved. We come into this world lost. And so we are all dead in our trespasses and sin. Whether you be Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. We come into this world as sinners, and so we are in disobedience to God. So that's, everybody has ultimately been in disobedience to God. When it we'll says take one more. When it says two-thirds of the Jews are wiped out, is that just in the land of Israel or across the whole world? Uh, I believe it's across the whole world that the two-thirds will be, because there will be a time when the Jewish believers from the first part of the tribulation, they're told when the abomination of desolation occurs that they are to flee the city and they are to go on the, the run. So it's two-thirds of the uh, living ethnic Jews that will be wiped out during the tribulation period. 